0: Welcome to In Demand, a podcast where we discuss unique insights into how to create growth and demand for B2B companies and brands, with a focus in the tech, IT service, and IT consulting space. Every month, we'll share valuable thoughts and insights about how to create demand for your business. Whether you're a seasoned expert or a curious beginner, this podcast is for you. So sit back, relax, and let's get started. Today, we're sitting down with Matthew Busby Andrews. Busby is a creative campaign extraordinaire and has spent a number of years during his career working for high-profile brands, crafting creative and compelling stories. Today, we're chatting to Busby about how to create the perfect thought leadership piece and what thought leadership actually means. Let's get into it.
1: well today thank you for joining today we've got a very special guest on our little podcast um none other than um matt andrews aka busby as he's known by me and others um and i'm really excited today because we're going to talk about thought leadership and what better person to unpack thought leadership than someone who Mm. has uh like yourself busby who has worked in uh agencies and run you know global campaigns for major brands and now is in is involved in in helping politicians uh with you know some of their um uh communication so i think you know what a great experience you've got and there's no one better really to talk about thought leadership um, so i thought today what we'd do is we'll we'll just we'll you know i'll just intro you and we'll just get to know and you you're a saying bit.
2: you were saying earlier peter that Many of the people that you work with feel nervous about the idea. Of, well, that's of, it. Why? Why do people feel nervous about it? It's the most fun thing in the world.
1: I know, and and isn't that isn't that a fresh perspective? Because you know, when I speak to people, we think about thought leadership, and this is really part one, isn't it? It's like, well, how do we get rid of the fear of doing it, and why is the why is there even a fear of thought leadership? You know, I mean, from what I understand. A lot of the challenge to do with thought leadership comes from people not thinking they can do it, maybe thinking they can't say anything interesting, or they've got nothing truly unique to offer, Mm. um, or or the concept of not being received that well. So, you know what? Do you want to give us a quick intro to you and your story, and and then why don't we go and unpack that, and, and maybe you can give us some insights on that one?
2: You know, one thing we might just get out of the way is what thought leadership is. I'll tell you what it isn't is something that I saw from, and I hope there aren't a whole phalanx of fans of Premier Dan Daniel Andrews uh, in your listenership. There might be. You know, he's an incredible communicator as the Premier of Victoria, but it's he tried how You something... call
1: him a phalanx, but anyway, carry on. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, he he um, he's an exceptionally talented operator when it comes to communications, but he tried something on the weekend uh, by way of thought leadership, and it really didn't work. And it was uh, off the back of the success of the Matildas, the Australian women's uh, football team, soccer team, who had a killer match against uh, Denmark, uh, and he puts up a post. Um, with a picture of a huge crowd in Federation Square in Melbourne that said something along the lines of, you know, if you ever hear someone say that uh, people aren't interested or that you can't get big crowds or audiences for for women's sports, show them this photograph. And the comments beneath were really derogatory because what he tried to do was set himself up as a thought leader It's a thought where we're actually already there, you know, ever since, for example, you know, the Williams sisters started, you know, exploding audience numbers in tennis. We've all kind of accepted that actually women's sports can rate just as highly as men's sports. So he's kind of like, I don't know, like 10 or 15 years behind. So he's attempted to put himself forward as a thought leader um but he's actually well behind the mainstream i think that's one of the things that we should we actually should be a little bit nervous about is putting ourselves forward thinking oh i won't say anything too controversial um i'll say something that is kind of roughly acceptable but even doing something that is very acceptable especially on linkedin you're not really bringing anything fresh to the conversation that is a watch out, and I think thought leadership is always at the edge. It's always going to make some people feel uncomfortable. If you're thinking about putting something forward, and um, you you do feel a tiny bit nervous, that actually could be a really good sign uh, to your um, clients and your listeners who are experiencing some nerves at, at at trying their hand at thought leadership. It may be a really good thing. It may be an indication that you're onto something. Yeah
1: and i think that's the challenge and the opportunity isn't it the challenge is people just don't want to engage they don't want to do it because they're worried they're going to get the message wrong but then if you get it right then you can be quite fulfilled through it so you know breaking it's really interesting perspective i mean but breaking down that that fear factor um i know you've mentioned to me before there are some simple things that you can unpack um about your own story or things which are true to you which help get some something interesting across to your audience and that can be an easy way for people to start so let's talk about how people start then and and then then we'll maybe we'll progress the conversation to more advanced topics about true thought leadership and cutting edge topics you know how do people start then in their doing something so they're comfortable would you say
2: I do think it comes down to finding something that is absolutely the truth about you. Often it'll involve you making an admission. If you can find an admission, a a confession, something that you've done wrong, then that's something that someone will benefit from because they don't want to have to make a mistake. So if you're prepared to admit that you've made a mistake on something, I think probably the best example of this in my career was, when I was making the pivot from my advertising career uh, into what's called government relations. And, you know, I'd had some extraordinary experiences uh, with American Express. I launched the Black Titanium card in Australia uh, and I launched Lenovo as a brand new brand here in Australia as well. I uh, had terrific experiences with financial services. They were all about Uh, you demonstrating your competency. You know, if you're talking about the ThinkPad by Lenovo, you want to talk about how reliable it is. But in the more human area of uh, politics and government relations, people don't want to hear from uh, entities from you if you're making a post uh, in the you know, in LinkedIn or in a newspaper or you're making an appearance on Sky or, you know, the Today Show. If you present yourself as a being who has got everything together, is extremely competent, um, you know, you have no flaws, then uh, a lot of people will find that off-putting. Um, much better if... Uh, you admit that you've made a mistake or you've learned something because you'll immediately become relatable. The first time that I'd been involved in something like this was uh, a young MP who wanted to uh, say something in the defence space. Uh, and he uh, worked with me, but it's and it's completely all his experiences and uh, convictions, but I was able to persuade him to lead with an admission, um, to lead with something that he had got wrong from uh, when he was in that space in his 20s or uh, or, or earlier, um, well, 20s and 30s. Um, yeah, and by making an admission, it gave him a humility that everyone could relate to uh, because we've all made mistakes. So someone who's prepared to lead by saying i've made a mistake in this area it actually wins over uh credibility that principle goes back to an amazing ad man uh called bill burnback uh who started the agency ddb in new york city in the 50s he launched the he launched vw uh (laughs) in the 50s in in new york city a jewish city he's launching a nazi car Uh, An an incredible uh, act of bravery in and of itself. And all of his ads, almost all of them, his ads, had a small admission. My favourite VW ad of the 50s and 60s is of a a very tall basketballer from uh, Boston Celtic um, uh, about to step into a a VW Beatle. And uh, the headline is, uh, they said it couldn't be done. And the first line of copy is uh it couldn't um this basketballer is 6 foot 5 um and uh the VW is fine as long as you're uh 6 foot 2 and under um but by making an admission VW as a brand as a voice actually wins credibility uh, the principle that Bill Bernbach said was uh he who makes a small admission wins wide acceptance so I think the first thing to think about is what's something that you've learned in your career? Something, maybe even a mistake that you've made. What's something that's gone wrong uh, that you and your company were involved in? Uh, because as soon as you do that, you'll create interest and you'll create empathy and people will be willing to follow you with what you're, what you're thinking. That is the sign by the way of an actual thought leader is uh, has anybody followed what you've said? Uh, has it, anybody followed your thoughts? If they have, you are now a thought leader.
1: Well, let's just, I mean, there's so much in that, but let's just focus in on that point there. Let's define thought leadership then, because mm-hmm. because I think there's a misconception of what it is. I mean, I've been in conversations before where people think if you don't have, you know, it's all about likes, it's all about engagement. And, and, and like if you don't have, you know, 100 likes and, you know, you're not doing anything right. I think... It's, it's as much, in my perspective, about no matter how small or large your audience is, you're saying something which is getting, getting a click-through rate or an engagement factor, so from a, just from a measurement perspective. But really what it means, what you're saying, is as long as just a, even a few or a couple people listen and think, oh, yeah, that's interesting, you're a thought leader. So it, it's not an order of magnitude right measurement is it you know it's not
2: really no far from it. it you know genuine thought leaders will have only a few people who are going with their line of reasoning you know certainly at first uh, yeah you only need one person uh, to be following your argument uh, to be for them to be stimulated to have to draw their own conclusions uh, for you to be in the business of thought leadership?
1: There's a fresh perspective. You don't hear that every day. <laughs> Just have one
2: follow-up. Yeah. Well, yesterday... Get one uh, follow-up, be a thought leader. There you go. There's a catchphrase. Yeah, phrase. that's right. Uh, th- yesterday, you and I were talking about the Overton window. Uh, the Overton mm-hmm. window was uh, an idea conceived by a lawyer, think he's from michigan um dr overton um he noticed that in uh public policy that that um ideas that become acceptable always start as completely unacceptable he sees it as a window like if you can imagine in your mind a sash window that can move up or down and uh, it, there's an edge to the window, and at the edge of the window, let's let's find a topic. Let's find a topic, Peter. Oh, oh wait! Right now, Australia is talking about nuclear energy. Now, in I'm a man of a certain age. I remember the 1980s and the Cold War, uh, and the idea of Australia ever ever having nuclear energy, and certainly anything to do with a crossover between nuclear capability and weaponry was absolutely unimaginable. I remember Midnight Oil had a an album and the, the, uh, the it was called Red Sails in the Sunset and the image was of uh, Sydney Harbour as it were bombed out by a, a nuclear attack, everything baking and red, the harbour bridge a tangle of metal, the uh, sails of the Sydney Opera House you know charred and turned and broken. and the idea that we could ever even have a an American warship that had nuclear weapons on it uh, was almost unthinkable for for Australians. Well, today, because of the energy crisis, um, the the commitments we have to uh, trying to reduce carbon footprints, people are thinking about nuclear energy in Australia. Uh, and we are thinking about having American warships, uh, Virginia class, uh, nuclear deterrent uh, submarines, um, make port in Sydney, make port in, um, in Fremantle and the window has moved. But the first person to start talking about that will always, always, always uh, have be criticized. So, one of the things that your uh, listeners and clients will be, you know, will be making them feel reluctant about thought leadership is the, is the sense that I'm going to be criticized. I'm going to have, get some pushback as I saved from, and the Overton window points out the edge of the window is always getting pushed back. The edge of the window always has some people um saying this is unacceptable and um and and often that can be a really good sign that you're you are actually doing the work of of thought leadership yeah and as i say one of the signs of that is that you don't have a lot of followers at first that you only have a few there are only a few people interacting with you and taking on your ideas and engaging with them
1: it's it's interesting right because there's a concept of um non-compelling insights which we talk about in our agency which you know can be defined as simply as um the, the the threat of content is you kind of just go out with a very vanilla internet easy to find on the internet piece of information right and it's the challenge of all content creation these days is to how yes. to create something compelling and, yes. and what's the compelling test almost right um and i think i think that can also be a good a good place to start because often the fear that we talked about earlier puts people in a basket where they just want to go with something safe it's almost like your dan andrew's example where they want they want to play in a safe box because they 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 don't want to get anything wrong but then what you end up with is a very non-compelling insight that no one cares about anyway it's a it's a given norm that people just go, well, I know what's new. Right. I so... think this is the
2: part of the conversation, Peter, where we need to talk about artificial intelligence mm. and chat GPT and all the rest that will be another temptation that, uh, your listeners and clients will have is, mm. um, and you know, there's definitely a there is definitely a role for AI generated content, no question, uh, certainly visually and uh and, and maybe in the area of copy as well but i tell you this i will stick myself out and say something here Peter. it may be yeah. uh not cool but i'm going i'm going to say you on it the edge anyway.
1: hang on you on the edge of the Overton window here we go. Uh, maybe You've on already? the edge of the Overton window Every <laughs>
2: <it tear> <laughs> everyone is saying that well it's certainly common and very cool to say that uh ChatGPT and AI generated content is the future. Uh what I say to you now and to your listeners and I will stand by it is people will always be interested in people and the more human you can uh show yourself to be the more vulnerable you can so- show yourself to be uh the more engagement you will receive from other people. And I say what's going to happen is that two corporations are going to go in two different directions at once. Lots of You know, blue chips like the banks in Australia, for example, Westpac, NAB, Commonwealth Bank, etc. They are bland already, and they will become blander. But a few people, certainly in the uh, proprietor-owned businesses and so on, they are going to uh, allow themselves to to show more and more personality. I mean, we did used to see this. Uh, Apple used to have a lot more personality when Steve Jobs was in charge, of course. Back in the day when Sir Richard Branson had a lot more control of Virgin, um, you know, it had um, an incredibly distinct uh, voice. In Australia, Sir Richard Branson came out and wanted to... um, have a go at Macquarie Bank because they were uh, limiting his abilities to expand at Sydney Airport, and he puts up a poster um, at Sydney Air- Airport uh, uh, from Virgin. I think it was. I think the headline was "What a bunch of bankers." Uh, it's like incredibly, you know, distinctive human voice, and uh, the temptation will be, and we'll see this on LinkedIn. Uh, more and more people using AI. To generate content, yes, but it will be inherently bland, inherently safe, because that's what the artificial intelligence does. It it, it vacuums up all the information around it um, online, and then it's, it, it puts out the safest version of of, you know, a discussion of a topic at hand, you know, that wants to talk about chairs or something like that. But people have vulnerabilities, people have strong emotions of anger and sadness and guilt and uh, joy. And chat. The artificial intelligence simply will not generate that content. It's too out there. But people can do that. And when people, uh, you know, from a whatever, a defence company, they want to talk about how worried they are, for example, um, about threats that Australia may be facing. The, the more that they allow themselves to show those vulnerabilities and to express that emotion, the less safe it is and automatically the more engaging it will be. So I see definitely see a future for AI generated content, but it will never, ever, ever create the levels of engagement that truly successful leaders will look for.
1: Yeah. I, I was on a podcast, um, the other week and, um, uh, the interviewer asked me a question around, you know, where are we going with AI in content? and content, and I actually said something which um, I've been reflecting on, um, and it's it's along this line but, but with a different um, analogy, which is quite interesting, I think. Which is, I remember, you know, when YouTube first really got popular, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm 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 39, so I'm officially old, in my books, um, you mm. might not say, but and. You know, when, when, you, when YouTube and other social media platforms began, just posting any old content was considered great. And people would watch random stuff, right, all the time. Mm. Like the amateur crappy content creator, you know, um, got views. And people would watch it because it was almost like it was user-generated content. But very, very quickly, quality c- content creators started taking over and mopping up. The lion's share of views and engagement and rose really quickly uh, mm. and you can see that with you know how many youtubers do people watch regularly now it's it's probably mm. a handful right yeah was, you, you know less than five maybe of, of and they're and they're extremely well put together professional mm. production intros outros storylines you know what i mean that they're, 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 Great. so the cream the quality always rises to the top and there's yeah. always a flight to quality and i think what's going to happen is the overuse of ai that uh, let's call it that safe generic content you're talking about will yeah. start proliferating the media landscape and we'll see more and more and more of very average content and what will happen is a natural flight to quality people will just look out look for the you know those interesting storytellers the people that they can relate to the people who actually produce high quality content and we'll just see that accelerate I think Um, there is a massive role for AI particularly um, in you know tool sets and making it easier and producing more but I think you're 100% right that the, the the threat and the the early adoption phase we're going through is is almost like anyone just sends anything out because they can it's almost like it gives you a freedom to produce so you produce right when before you had writer's block maybe now you can produce content, so you put it out there but that just again is going to mean the quality will rise to the top just like on youtube that's my that's my little prediction on the back of your prediction let's move on to the concept of um getting thought leadership together so maybe a good place to start would be can you talk a little bit about that american express campaign you ran um mm. really successfully because i've always found that a, a fascinating story and campaign um in in terms of the story and message it set it it, it spoke of and what we can learn from that do you want to just unpack that
2: it is the most successful campaign that American Express has ever done in Australia, and almost no one has heard about it. And the reason is because it's designed to be not talked about. Uh, It's designed to be exclusive. The whole idea of the the titanium card, the black card, is that it's what's called a Veblen good, uh, V-E-B-L-E-N. A Veblen good is a good that's valuable because other people don't have it. The Maybach uh, car, uh, I don't know, they might have only made 50 of them in the last 15 or 20 years. So it's inherently valuable because it, there are so few of them. The uh, challenge of American Express at in the mid-zeroes was that they needed to pump up the membership costs of the black card. Uh, And they were going to actually not really offer that many more features, but they needed to go to their base uh, and make them feel really special. The way that we did that was by uh, sending people a letter, a simple letter (laughs) uh, that talked about all the people that they were in the company of when they have the, Uh, The titanium card, you know, people who are leaders in law or the media or construction or, you know, the people who are changing Australia because they're the ones who are, are leading the way. And you almost have a membership card to that fraternity with the titanium uh, American Express card, but the letter was actually metal. It was a metal letter. It cost $100 a pop just to send people the letter. Well, I didn't really realise how powerful it was until I heard one story of uh, an Amex, um, uh, you know, phone consultant following up with one of the recipients of the metal letter to see that they'd received it and were they okay to go ahead and, and uh sign up their membership to the Titanium Black Card. And this guy said, oh, yeah, I've I've got the letter and I've had it framed and put up um by my desk in my study. So for me as a direct marketer, you know, the idea that someone would take a mailer that I'd done or an email or whatever and had it framed, it's like, why would that be? And then you think about it and it makes complete sense. People who need the the black card, the titanium black card, are all people who have uh, made a success of themselves and they are looking for that validation. And the black card receiving it and being invited into it, because you can't apply for it, you can only be invited, that is the final moment of validation. Uh, People who come from old money, you know, very you know, wealthy old uh, family, they don't use the uh, black card from the American Express because they don't need that validation. But people who are new money and want to have a reminder to themselves of what they have achieved and that they really are somebody, that card is incredibly valuable to them. It creates validation. The uh, campaign... <laughs> Amazingly, got a ninety nine point one one percent response rate. Why did it? Why did that happen? Because we gave people almost an existential uh, product. You know, something that meets an existential need—the need to know that you are someone. It wasn't famous. It, it, you know, no one. Uh, talked about it in the media, but in certain circles, if you, you know, produce the titanium black card at a restaurant, um, you know, people knew who you were and they knew who you belonged to and the echelon of people that, uh, were with you. Very powerful. Um, yeah. Um, so what and and you... humbling for me, because I know I can, where do you go from percent? <laughs> Yeah,
1: you don't go anywhere, right? There's no way you go from that. What can we learn about this? Now, let, let's let's bring it all back to, I yep. think, our bread and butter and a lot of people are simply just trying to get some content, some articles, some some posts, some pieces up there on a platform like LinkedIn or, or even on an email, EDM, that they are sending out. What can we learn about mm. that campaign to start with? About producing thought leadership, and then and then maybe let's riff off on some tips and some tricks and some ideas that people can have to help as part. Well, there's two. a
2: very simple principle at work there: the principle that people appreciate feeling valued. Uh, people appreciate being spoken to personally. One really obvious thing, Peter, is if you're doing a post uh, tomorrow, um, write to reach out t- to. Five people that you noticed have made comments on your posts over the last week or the last month and just let them know that you appreciate them and their thoughts, that you noticed that they had a really interesting insight on this topic or you could see that they disagreed with you, but you thought that their argument was very solid. Uh, but just let people know that you've appreciated what they've said. And then of course say, you know, I've got to say, you, you know, if they are one of the more intelligent people who've made comments, say, look, you're one of the more intelligent people that uh, talks uh, on these threads. I would love it if you could talk on the thread that I'm going to post tomorrow. It's on this controversial topic. um, And I know that you'll have a great perspective. Of course, what you and I know, uh, Peter, is that that is exactly what the algorithm wants to see. The algorithm wants to see that uh, people who are interacting with one another intelligently and respectfully, uh, quickly generating conversations uh, with each other. And you might have the most beautiful content in the world. And if no one has commented in the first 60 minutes, that golden hour, uh, then you you almost may not have, you know, you might, might not have needed to have bothered in the first place. So, Showing people that they matter and that their voice is worth listening to is very powerful for your own posts. Yeah.
1: And I think we often have to go back two or three steps in that process just to get content together, right? Which can hit that mark, hit that chord. And Mm. almost the selection of content, you know, we do a lot of interviews of clients and kind of get them talking and opening up Um, because, you know, getting the engagement. Like you're saying, and showing the audience that you're valued can be done yeah. from an interaction perspective and a thanking and a liking. But there's also another element to that which is the content you produce. It right, it's almost mm-hmm. respecting the audience and digging, you know, digging deep to be raw, be a little bit vulnerable, like you said at the beginning. Um, show a failure as well as a success, and thinking about mm-hmm. the audience right about what what can you give them right as opposed to here's my opinion just hear it you know uh, well one thing the that there, even with
2: the topic. yeah well one thing that you can absolutely give people peter is uh, access to something that's limited so yes have a webinar fine good you know share insights on a particular topic that you know a lot about some learnings that you've made, but limit it, limit it to only 20 people. And then don't put up uh, an ad saying everyone can come, invite people by name individually and let them know, hey, just so you know, I'm not, this is not something that's open to everyone. I'm inviting you because I've noticed that you're interested in, in this, this and this. I'm inviting you because you've made really great contributions on this topic. And I think you'd really enjoy this. I'm not invite; It's limited to 15 people. I'm having no more than 15 because I want it to be a really interesting conversation after my presentation. It's if you can offer somebody, it's the round table. It's yeah. Round table, but it? I, yeah but it's limited. You know, yeah. you're in- being invited into the boardroom and I'm not inviting everybody. Yeah, I love that. People feel valuable because of who else is not invited.
1: Our challenge, I mean, my my look, my my learning doing uh, this for many years now is um, it's hard enough just getting the, the basics done, but this is a great conversation because if I think if you've got the basics, if you've got some baseline content, if you've got some of those tactics like webinars and things, producing fruit, that over to window concept you mentioned before, right? Yeah, you can almost then explore these more innovative ways of engaging an audience, such as a selected round table for certain people, um, you know, the, the the really engaging with other thought leaders and challenging them, right? Um, because you've got, because you've got capability to do it. I think, I think the, the, the yeah, and this is, this is, I guess, going back to thought leadership. This is one of the challenges and the roadblocks. I, I guess I'm like on roadblock hunting now. I'm trying to be like, how do we, Break down some of the roadblocks because to get to that right, we also have to get some of the basic content out there. Right? What are the other
2: roadblocks that you're aware of? Yeah,
1: people? I think this is it. It's like the first one was fear. I think we mm-hmm. tackled that. Right? If you've got one, if you've got one follower, great. You don't got this. You know, um, two coming up with something compelling, um, and I mm-hmm. think that's where we were talking before around. Um, people will have something interesting to say. They just have to think of something that they've learned. Okay, well, let's or a let's, go to that. Had.
2: let's go Yeah, to that. let's go let's there. Let's go to compelling. Yeah. Um, yeah. So compelling. So, a campaign that I was involved in uh, for the launch of Lenovo. Uh, when they briefed us, the most <laughs> the most interesting thing that they had to say uh, was that. Lenovo uh, Thinkpads have the lowest, this is so nerdy, the lowest total cost of ownership. It's like you're almost asleep by the end of the acronym. Um, the, the lowest TCO. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how do you turn that into something compelling? Okay. Well, it really comes down to doing a a, a number of so that means that. Total, lowest total cost of ownership means that uh, the, your your other uh, laptops and desktops are um, you know they're less reliable because they that, that's why they've got a high cost of ownership total cost of ownership because they they cost more to maintain and to to trick up and to repair and everything else um, that. Uh, the Lenovo ones just don't fall over as much. So that means you should probably get rid of those other ones and you should just replace them. Okay, all right, so let us that's the truth now. Let's dramatize that. What's some drama that we can bring to that? Well, it's almost like the other computers, they're so frustrating because they're falling over all the time. You want to take a bandsaw to them. You want to take a circular saw to them, right? Um, because it's so annoying how they are not as reliable and you'll save money anyway because you're getting Lenovo instead. Okay, okay. now we've got some drama. Now bring that drama to the people that you're trying to persuade. And what we did was we we identified the 30 most important uh, cios in Australia, the real decision makers and we sent them in a black box a working circular saw physical working ready to go circular saw and the, at the Any top of the box
1: instructions or no safe <laughs> instructions
2: <laughs> and the, uh, we had a cute little idea for that um, at the top of the box it said um, a practical way to cut your IT costs then you open it up and there's a circular saw and then it says you know well we've got the lowest total cost of ownership uh, pink pads or laptops in in the world. Um, so why not just get to work with what has been frustrating you for so long, and then it had a phone number, you know, call the sales guy, and he'll give you the key to unlock the trigger on the on the circular saw. But the point was, you've got if you've got a truth right now about whatever your product or your service is, find a way of dramatizing that. Uh, I'll I'll give you an example with a guy I'm helping. He's a uh, you know, he is actually a little uh, thought leader, um, very shy guy. Actually, uh, working for a very large American software and solutions company here in Australia, do uh, stacks of work for government, and he's going to begin his presence on, on LinkedIn. He's going to dial it up, and the the truth that he has to offer is, you know we actually did some things really well and government did some things really well in delivery of services at speed during COVID. It's like, okay, it's interesting. People don't talk about the good side of COVID very much, do they? Um no, You know, we're all talking about all. not at all. Uh, it's like, okay, but there's a truth there. So now you need to just bring the drama out a little bit. So that's the beginning of what I think he'll do as an op-ed, and I'd love to help him with it, is, you know, COVID was a good thing for us in our relationship with government. We learned that what usually takes like a three-year contract review period to, you know, begin a program, we could do and We actually can do it in about six weeks. We're physically capable of doing that. We've now discovered, because COVID made us do that, that if we really need to launch a program or a reform within government or we need to get it, bring in a whole new platform uh, for software or data management, we can actually do it. So why are we going to go back to, you know, the low expectation three-year process? We know we can do it now. So then that will hopefully become a headline like, you know, COVID was good you know, for government for for government services. It's like, you know, that may not be the headline, but it'll be something like that.
1: Yeah. And now you've
2: you've brought out the drama of a simple truth. So
1: the drama of a simple truth. Now oh that's a great, great tip. Um I've got one to kind of maybe we can finish on this. I've got one to go into you with and, and I'm loving I'm loving your perspectives and want to hear this your perspective on this one. I think I think there's a lot of conversations that happen with founders and the business leaders, or just just you know people in jobs who want to do um, thought leadership, whether it be in yeah. sales or marketing, or whatever or technical. I think there's a lot of conversations that happen, talking to clients, talking to customers, mm-hmm. right, where they're going to unpack some of these things naturally in conversation because they're in a they're in a, com- they're in a comfortable setting the the topic comes up over this and then they'll they'll, they'll just speak does just speak a truth because they're feeling comfortable yeah. um, and maybe maybe the, with the question of well how do we know what truth to say? Maybe that's the next question and maybe the answer is, You've got truths and you're probably saying them three or four times a day. It could be because it could be a, a a slide out of your sales pitch. <laughs> it could be a slide out of your, you know, your your um your brand guidelines, right? It could be something you talk to your customers about, which is an honest truth, quite interesting. You'll say in a safe place, get that and be am just be confident and just just be a little bit bold and put that out there on, on some media.
2: Yeah. Most of the great work that I've been able to do with clients as they've generated content has come out of a conversation and it often happens that it'll be some moment of emotion about halfway through a conversation where somebody expresses something that makes them angry about the current market or makes them angry about the way things are done at the moment, um, something that's wrong. Um, as soon as you, there's a strong emotion, uh, then you know that you've got something. Uh, I, I know one of the simple things that I help people do is, you know, we we generate a conversation, the conversation becomes a first draft. Uh, they will write three or four paragraphs to soften things um, at the at the top of the article. And all I have to do is to go, okay, well, all of that's boring. Um, and, uh, you know, you've actually said something very, um, with a strong emotion in it, joy or sadness or guilt or anger in the fourth paragraph. And that's actually where we're going to start. We're just going to cut away all the first three paragraphs where you tried to sound clever. Um, and let's go straight to straight to the emotion that really is the the way that you should be uh looking through your content is has it created an emotion in your readers yeah and you should always get a colleague you know someone someone to check uh it could be brad from accounts um you know and he'll say oh that was interesting this bit in the middle it's like okay well then make that the lead article um always lead with something that creates the emotional response
1: amazing I think we've really uh, got into some great tips and insights. We've covered some ground, but do you know what, Peter? We have not grind, talked we?
2: about. We have not talked about story, and we need to do that at another time. The uh, that is the one human need. All of us are hungry for good stories, so maybe we I do think it we this need to do that again. in a
1: part two. I think we need to do that in a part two. In I a part think, two. I think. I think what we've done here is, if we trace back this conversation, we've started off unpacking one of the biggest roadblocks to get thought leadership done, which is fear. We've talked about that. We then defined thought leadership We then, and then I guess we then started going into what is a new definition of thought leadership or what is the essence of it. We talked about like the Overton window and like staying on the edge. We talked about AI and then staying on the edge. Um, And then it was, you know, it was then more around, okay, well, how do we now do this, right? And I think we've got some great tips and insights to getting started and to think through the emotion and the engagement and the story and the honesty and the truths. Mm. And it leads beautifully into a framework. And and, and and that should be the next conversation, I think. Well, well there we are, we are four elements story- to storytelling.
2: Yeah. yeah, there are four elements to the story. I think if everyone got a grip on on what they are, um You would automatically become a, not only a more interesting um, person in public spaces like LinkedIn with your content, but in your presentations and actually in conversations with suppliers and customers and staff. Yeah.
1: Well, let's leave the audience wanting more. On that note, let's, sure. <laughs> let's wrap up. Thank you, good sir. I really appreciate it. Good on you, Peter. It. And um, yeah, let's reconnect for part two and we'll get through storytelling. Thanks a lot. Nice one. um, Thanks, Peter. See you next time. Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to In Demand. If you found some value in this podcast, please leave us a five-star rating. We'll be back next month with some more insights into creating demand for your business. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. If you want to find out more or have questions for Pete about how to generate demand for your business, head to seller.io.